Welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, former headmaster at Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Noah Tetzner, a curious student of classical education and podcast producer. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on the Quarter Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to A Quarter Three Strands. Uh, my name is Ron Young. Uh, today, I have a, a wonderful guest. We've been talking about education in this season. And uh, today, we want to talk about higher education. And so, as a guest today, I have a friend, Dr. David E. Alexander. He is the Vice President for Academic Affairs, the Dean of Academics, and the Associate Professor of Philosophy at Providence Christian College. I have a uh, one I just want to say, I love that school. Uh, I didn't know much about it. I'd seen them uh, at the ACCS Conference, Association of Classical Christian School uh, conferences. And uh, my daughter, when she was graduating, was looking in the schools and she said, Dad, I want to go to this school. And uh, it has been a tremendous um, blessing for my daughter to be at Providence Christian um, out in Pasadena, California. Uh, one of her best friends from Green Bay is with her, and uh, she is also loving it. And I, I think uh, we we have one or two others coming next year, and uh, it's it's wonderful. But a, a wonderful school. But I'm excited to have uh, David here on on the podcast. He also hosts a podcast called The Virtuous Mind, um, which I'd highly recommend, and I'll put that on our show notes uh, so you can get there. And he recently had one, um, and I I believe it was called Reforming. The liberal arts. And, uh, I just thought it was a wonderful thing. And I thought, boy, as we get to higher education, I, I'd love to have, uh, David on the podcast. So David, uh, welcome to a quarter three strands. Thanks for, uh, taking your time out of, uh, your resurgum, right? It's resurgum week. Um, you, you know, a college is good when they have Latin phrases for events. So, uh, <laughs> David, welcome to quarter three strands. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to the, the conversation. Yeah, so as we're we're dealing with um education and and especially uh what are we supposed to do with our our covenant children uh, as they get to higher education? Uh, I'd love your perspective both on that, like what what do you see the the goals for higher education? What is uh what what should parents be looking at as they're selecting colleges? And then um t- tell us a little bit of your plug for because this is like music to my ears, your plug for humanities and uh, the liberal arts. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I th- yeah, that, that's a, a, a number of uh, fascinating questions. So hopefully I'll hit them uh, as I um, sort of wax 
philosophical and theological for a moment. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, my starting point, I think, um, is going to be for any question uh, along the lines that you're asking is what's the ultimate purpose uh, for humans? Um, Why do we exist? Uh, Why do I exist? Um, What what's our what's our nature? And what's our function, right? Why, why are we here? Um, and so whatever the answer to that question is, that better inform the answer to all the other pursuits, um, why I do whatever it is that I'm doing. And so it better inform, uh, you know, my viewing habits, my listening habits, my eating and drinking habits, um, the ultimate purpose for uh, humans um, should saturate, somehow influence all of the other things that I'm doing. And of course, that applies to education. So from a a Christian perspective, right, the ultimate purpose for which we are, for which we exist is uh, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, I think, I think a roughly equivalent way of putting that is knowing God, right? Being in an intimate relationship with God. And I think another roughly equivalent way of putting that is loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So I think those three ways of articulating the ultimate purpose for humans are roughly equivalent and should inform all of our pursuits, including our educational pursuits. So fundamentally, what parents should be looking for in educating their children is asking, how is this uh, curriculum? How is this environment? How are these people um, helping my student, my, my child to achieve their ultimate purpose? Right. Um, You know, if I know the ultimate purpose of a television is to display images and sound, um, well, then I know that I shouldn't put it in a pool, in a swimming pool. Um, I know I shouldn't toss it into a fire. Right. Um, Unless, of course, it's completely broken, uh, unable to perform its function. Um, And so, you know, I think there's analogies with respect to maybe what some uh, some do with their own children, right? Is is their, their ultimate purpose, whether we believe it or not, is to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind and love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, and then with respect to their education, we sort of steer them in a direction that is um, either contrary or incompatible with that ultimate purpose or we steer them simply in a direction that is orthogonal, right? That is um, uh, not directed, not aimed in that direction. And it's like throwing a television into a swimming pool or into a fire and hoping that it will still achieve its function, right? That it'll still fulfill the purpose for which it is made. Well, we see the ridiculousness of that with respect to televisions, but I think many of us myself included for a a large portion of my life, didn't connect the dots with respect to a bunch of other pursuits. I I, I would bet that most of our listeners, this kind of thinking is new, right? We grow up in a culture that says the purpose of education is to make a buck, 
Mm-hmm. It, it's um, I, I, I sarcastically uh, will say that if you look at um, public education in the United States, it's to become an individual economic taxable unit. Oh and, yeah. And wow. And that's the, um, and that's the, the goal. Um, and where, well, having a job and making money, you know, having a employment is not a bad thing, but when you make that the ultimate goal, you're, you're really missing the mark. You're tossing the TV into the swimming pool. Yeah. I love that way of putting it actually. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, now, you know, most of us would think that having a job and making money is a means to the end of loving God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Um, but it's not, you know, it's certainly not a sufficient means. It doesn't guarantee that we achieve our ultimate purpose, that we fulfill the function for which we were made. Um, and, you know, to be frank, it's actually not a necessary condition either. Um Right. There are people who do not have jobs and do not get paid that are uh, probably uh, I could probably say it more strongly. I'm sure there are people who are loving God with their all their heart, soul, strength and mind and loving their neighbor as themselves who have neither of those things. And they're doing it better than I am. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, it is a natural means to achieving that end, but it cannot be the ultimate end. And when our education and our curriculum are not saturated with the ultimate end, due to our inclination to worship ourselves and to place our own desires and our own conceptions of goodness and badness above all others, when the ultimate purpose is not center and doesn't saturate everything else, I am inclined to direct myself away from it. And so an educational framework or curriculum that isn't just saturated in in a really rich way, right? In a deep, deep way. There's ways to do this that I think are um, superficial. uh, And there's ways to do this that are incredibly rich and deep and richer and deeper than anything you would find anywhere else. So without that kind of centering and saturation, um, we will veer, right? So ultimately what parents, what, what students need to be looking for is an environment, a curriculum, instructors who are committed to uh, that kind of education, an education, a life that is constantly aimed towards the ultimate purpose for which humans have been made. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I, I also enjoy the fact, I think in your mission at Providence Christian, I know I'm probably jumping ahead into specifically your school, um, but it, but it, it speaks of um, part of the purpose or mission of the school has this end result that it's not just the, it's not just glorifying God. It's also for the good of your neighbor. Mm. Right. And that, uh, and I'm, I totally misquoted it, but that's the gist of it. Um, to, to the God's glory and our neighbor's good. And, and I think this is the other part that uh, to me, um, as, as I look at um, what I'm hoping for my kids, what I'm hoping for uh, Christian families is when their kids are, are pursuing and they don't have to pursue higher education, but when they are pursuing educate uh, higher education, that um, it's, it's, this whole process 
is not just for their own self. Mm. It's not just for their own fulfillment by, by, by being saturated with these things and understanding your ultimate purpose. Um, it's not just for your good. <laughs> it's for the good of, of the, our world. And, and I think this is, um, this has been something that I, I think has been missing within mm. um, the, ch- the church's understanding of, of itself. It's, it's, um, it, it, it could be easy for us to get from the point of, I need my children to separate from the world and, uh, and to maybe to point them in a direction that is more um, sound theologically or, or what have you. Um, but, but it tends to almost be, and, and, and I think, um, cause I encounter this all the time in talking to parents and others, but it's, it's, I'm doing this to preserve my child, to keep my child safe and that hopefully they're going to have a, a decent life rather than understanding. No, 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 no. If we do this right, <laughs> if we're doing this right and they understand their ultimate purpose and they're saturated with these things they're going to be dangerous weapons in the hand of God in this world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's what our world needs. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and I, and I'm going to just say, I, I see, I see this with my daughter. She scares me sometimes, right? <laughs> you know, the more you, the more you pursue things of truth and goodness and beauty, it's, it's really hard to put up with falsehood and, and um, ugliness and the, the things that aren't good. Mm. And, um, and you know, and they're, they're young and the, and it just, it's a, you know, it, it grabs them. And, um, any, anyway, I, I feel like I cut you off on that a little bit, but, um, I, I, I absolutely love that when we are concentrating or being saturated by the, those, you know, the transcendentals and the things that are forming us as, as what God intended that we're tove, right? The Hebrew word for good, uh, according to the purposes God made us. It's not just for my sake or my child's sake. It's for the sake of the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, uh, and it's wonderful. That's, that's what gives me hope. You know, the, the, the two greatest commands, right? Which, which summarize, uh, the entire law and prophets, or love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so you can't separate them, um, yeah. right? Uh, uh, if I'm, if I'm, if I think I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, but I'm failing to love my neighbor, then I'm actually failing in the first. Um, and if I'm attempting to love my neighbor, right, in this deep, deep, in this rich, deep way, love my neighbor as though they are, are me, but I'm failing to love God with every, with all of my being, then it turns out I'm actually failing to love my neighbor. And part of the reason here is that because my ultimate purpose is to be united to God, to love my neighbor is to point them to God, right, is to help them to fulfill their function, lest they malfunction, right? A malfunctioning human is a human that can't flourish. It's a human that can't be complete or whole or integrated. And of course, those are just words for being healed, right? Yeah. So a, a fully integrated, whole, complete human is one that necessarily fulfills their function. And part of that function is to be united to God. 
So I can't love my neighbor. I can't fulfill the two greatest commands without pointing my neighbor to union with God as their ultimate purpose. Uh, And I can't fulfill those two commands if I'm not focused on uh, love on that task. Right. So there is no sort of, um, you know, complete separation from the world, because to do so is to fail uh, grandly in my ultimate purpose, which includes loving my neighbor. Um, and, and, you know, again, I think our educational, uh, curriculum, the environment, all of that has to be oriented towards both of those things in order for it to be complete. And if it's not, then it is an incomplete education and will produce incomplete humans. Yeah. Tell me about the environment. So this is another part. I, and I, I, I remember you and I having a conversation, uh, out in Pasadena about culture, like the, the, um, Mm. the, the, how important the culture of the school is, um, you know, the the curriculum is one thing then there's the culture and how that, um, you know, if there's a, there's a disconnect between the, the, what you're studying and what you're living out, uh, it's not as effective. Right. So how, how, how would you, describe, I guess, or how would you encourage parents to look at the culture of a school as well? Like the environment of it, as you, you put it. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. And that one's probably in in a lot of ways requires the most in investigation perhaps of the parents, right? It's, it's pretty easy to get a hold of the curriculum. Uh, it's pretty easy to at least you know, get a a bit of information about the faculty, the administration, the board, parents should be doing all of those things. I think students should be doing all of those things, right? They should care about those things. Figuring out the culture is a little trickier. Um, You know, we, we can't, we've got to be careful here, right? So we're not looking for a perfect culture. Um, We're not looking for a culture in which um, every single human in that culture uh, is sinless or stainless, right? Um, right? Right. So, what we want is are the are there systems in place, structures in place, not just in the curriculum, but in the uh, residential um, setting, um, in the extra curricular uh, activities, right? What what's happening there um, that is also aiming the student towards their ultimate purpose. And one of the things that um, my wife and I have been pursuing now for the last 10 years um, is a much more intentional residential community um, for the students where we and we encourage other faculty and staff members to actually take up residence in the same space that the students are living in. Um, And, you know, it's kind of obvious why that would be necessary. One is the vast majority of the the time that students spend is outside of a classroom uh, once they're in college, right? There's a huge amount of time that's supposed to be dedicated to studying, um, to engaging the class content outside of class. And so that just means that they're going to be spending the bulk of their time outside of the classroom. Well, 
If that's true, and it is, and a, a traditional um, or I should say a contemporary university and college setting is one where um, those students are primarily surrounded by their peers, then that means a significant portion of their education, a significant portion of their training and formation is being done by persons who are 18, 19, 20 years old. Now, that strikes me as nuts. Um, it, you know, so. so I, I once was that age. That is nuts. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of our students fascinatingly recognize it. They yeah. actually do understand that there's something, you know, of course, there, there, there's a desire for them to, right, um, to, to be weaned off of um, their, their uh, uh, parental guidance or that, that you know, the, the parental oversight. And, and a lot of that is natural and understandable. So college is a wonderful transition um, for them to become you know, to own all of those things that the parents have been attempting to instill in them and to own it for themselves, but to do so sort of immediately, right? This kind of immediate break from parental oversight and guidance to just themselves at 18 years old, doing the bulk of their own educating. It's, it, it, it should strike us as incredibly odd, right? Um, uh, as, as a kind of unnatural, uh, break from that parental oversight. So we are kind of wanting a return in a sense to a, a, a sort of more kind of ancient medieval practice where the parents are handing over the child to, uh, another group of adults that have the same ultimate goals in mind for their children and are going to continue the guidance, the cultivation that the parents uh, were doing. So the residential setting of an institution, I think, is incredibly important. And at Providence, we have uh, 11 faculty and staff members that live in the exact same space as our students and invest a great deal of their time in engaging with the students outside of class, having them over for dinner. Look, I want the students to see my marriage. Um, I want this and I want them to see it in both of in, in its good, uh, in, in all of its, uh, you know, splendor and in all of its squalor. Right. right. They, they need to yeah. see how to fight. They need to see how to argue. They need to see how to disagree uh, and they need to see how to forgive and how to repent. And um, and sometimes, you know, they see it in their parents but it doesn't hit in the same way. Their parents have provided the ground, you know, they've, they've, they've laid the groundwork, but then they see it in non-parents. They see it in others. And that, you know, uh, all the work that the parents have done is able to spring, spring forth in much more visible, tangible ways for the students. So, yeah, I, I hope that uh, answered the question, at least in part. No, I, I think you're, you're right on. I, I, I had a chance to speak at, um, UWGB at a Ratio Christi event, um, recently. And one of the things that was, was interesting is as I was speaking to, to, to the students, I, I talked about their generation kind of as, uh, 
you know, there was a song that came out. There's already been a cover. And I think there's a TV show or series with the title, um, somebody that I used to know. Mm. And, um, and, and we just talked of the, uh, how much of an experience that has been in the, this generation's life that when there's conflict, when there's something, one of two things happen. One is you're canceled, right? You, you, you just unfriend them. You just avoid them, you know, period. Or, uh, especially in a university setting, uh, you're, it's a, it's a harsh discipline to where you are, um, forever labeled the offender and, uh, and there's no reconciliation. There's no grace. There's, there's nothing. And when kids are in a culture, which demonstrates reconciliation, right? We're all mm-hmm. sinners. Mm-hmm. Kids that even if a hundred percent of students were Christians at, at your school or my school, they're still going to, they're all, we're all sinners. There's going to be sin. Um, faculty are going to mess up just as much as the students are. And, and the greatest thing, uh, that, that happens on Christian campuses that ought to happen on Christian campuses is a, a, a great model of reconciliation mm. that, that we are able to forgive because our, our Lord has forgiven us and to be reconciled. And, and the amount, the tremendous amount of anxiety in um, college age students right now is it's just immense. I, I heard a statistic of uh, in the year tw- 2021 uh teenage girls between um i think it was 14 and 19 or 20 it might have been in the 20s one out of every three girls in that age range uh thought seriously about committing suicide in the year 2021 uh, think of that that that's that's horrendous and and part of it is they don't know how to be forgiven mm. they don't know how to They've burned, you know, by the time they're in college, they've burned a lot of bridges because they've never been taught. Mm. They, they don't know how to do. And, and if, if, um, Christian institutions, um, especially in colleges and, and, um, in high schools, uh, just become a model of that within their, within their student body of being able to say, Hey, I said this and I, I know it hurt you. We, you, forgive me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And to have them say, I forgive you and then be reconciled. That, that is a gift that the world needs. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so when you, when you look at, uh, and I'll, I'll give you an, another example here. Uh, when I was in college way back in the eighties, I, I played football at a Christian school, not, not too far from where you were <laughs> at Azusa Pacific. And, um, and there was a lot of there were a lot of non Christians who played on the football team, and and a lot of them were um, just incredible, uh, rebellious, partying. You know, <laughs> it it just it was. I wasn't one of them, but they, they were there. And uh, a few years later, I think it was in 1992, um, the Soviet Union was you know Glasnost kind of thing was going on, and um, American football was starting to be played out there. And the, the, uh, state, the Ukrainian, Ukraine had a, a football team and they came to the United States coached by people involved with fellowship of Christian athletes. 
and they came to America to play some football. And, um, so we had an alumni game. So all these, all us old guys came to play football against the Ukrainians, but I'm at breakfast, our team breakfast, and I'm sitting at table and the entire table around me were guys who were just rebellious party animals when they were in school. And every one of them gave testimony to how they had become Christians shortly after leaving APU. Mm. And the reason was, as soon as they left, they knew they were missing something good. Mm. They, 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 this desire to have God around <laughs> was so deep in all of them that within a year after leaving, um, they all found a church and uh, came to faith in Jesus Christ. It, all, every one of them. And it wow. was just an, an amazing testimony. So even, even though the kids as students, they weren't, um, they were still rebelling the culture of the institution, uh, the culture of the football team, the culture of the dorms, the, the, the fact that we forced them to go to chapel, <laughs> it made such an impact on their lives. As soon as they left, they knew they missed out. And so th this is why I think, um, one of the reasons I'm I'm really excited about the idea of forming Christian culture on a campus is um, the the power that has to direct hearts um, to the Lord, even if they're mm. um, like in the guy's case that I had mentioned, they they resisted and resisted and resisted. As soon as they were gone, they 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 ached for it, mm. and um, so. Yeah, I love it. I, I um, you know, it, it, this sort of connects to another issue, too. Um, I think a mistake that a lot of us have made and, and perhaps uh, we're continuing to make is that uh, if we give our kids a great K through 12 education, that they can go off to college and they're already well formed, right? That the um, you know the the uh, the all of the the formation in a sense, or at least the the ground, uh, maybe the first second story uh, of the building have already been uh, established, and the students ready to add you know some layers. Um, I think what we're seeing is that that's false in a in a culture that becomes more and more hostile to Christianity. The formation needs to be perhaps more, more robust in that sort of culture. But, you know, my sense is that it's always been true, right? That the formation needs to be uh, incredibly deep um, and thorough. And it's not done after senior year of high school. And so whatever happens after senior year of high school, that young person needs to enter into a community where they will constantly be formed and develop, continue to develop these habits. Look at 18 years old. I think one of the wonderful things is that um, our, we, we, we haven't yet developed habits that are deeply entrenched into our character such that the removal of them is next to impossible. So habits are still being formed at that age, right? Um, at my age, habits are still being formed, but the removal of them is much more difficult now than it is at 18 years old. Um, so, 
So sending our, our children, or if I'm a student, entering into an environment that is dedicated, either intentionally or not, to form habits contrary to my ultimate purpose, right, is um, not only is it dangerous, right, it's foolish. There's a foolishness there. Now, entering at my age into that type of environment is uh, less foolish or entering into that environment in, you know, your mid 20s may be less foolish uh, as those as those habits have had time right to form and, and settle in. So, you know, a habit of forgiveness, uh, as you mentioned, right, Um, a habit of seeking reconciliation, uh, as you mentioned, that those are those are habits, right? They do not come natural, given uh, original sin, given our sin nature. They have to be cultivated and developed and they have to be cultivated in in a certain type of environment. One of the things that has struck me about Providence is that. Uh, to the chagrin of some students and, and, you know, some, uh, perhaps, um, uh, third parties, we are like incredibly committed to reconciliation and forgiveness and repentance. Now, you know, there has to be a threshold, right? If somebody is posing a threat to the community, to the, to its, its, uh, cohesion, um, it's integrity, right? All of that has to be taken into consideration. And in some cases, you know, as Paul tells us uh, in scripture, sometimes persons do have to be removed from a community for their good, right? And the goal is ultimately for their reconciliation, for their repentance, right? It's not just for the preservation of the community. So, you know, we always have to take that stuff in, into consideration. But man, my default, I think, given my own selfishness, um, given my own self-centeredness, my default should be forgiveness, reconciliation, repentance, right? Those things, you know, I want to be inclined towards those, not inclined towards complete rejection uh, and dismissal on, you know, first sin, first violation or something like that. And so, you know, the what we're trying to demonstrate to students is ultimately the power right. of the gospel, right? It really is, as you mentioned, right? These guys who left uh, Azusa and felt, realized something deep was missing for their lives. What, what they realized was one of the essential ingredients of the gospel was missing, that they were members of a community that loved them for reasons that were independent of their contribution to that community. And so we're called, I'm called to love other image bearers because they are image bearers, not because they contribute uh, positively to my own uh, desires or goals. That's a completely different way of thinking about the world and thinking about humans than we see in our utilitarian culture. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.